0: All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. slash switch.
1: Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 531.24. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
0: So there's a lot of talk today when it comes to peace uh, in the Middle East. Hamas responding to the latest plan for a new ceasefire and a hostage-release deal with Israel. Uh, The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is there again. Uh, He's meeting with Israeli leaders to discuss the plan today. I do believe that there is a very um, positive, powerful future that is possible that genuinely integrates Israel uh, into the region and addresses its most profound security needs uh, to be able to live in peace and, and genuine security and also answers the aspirations of the uh, Palestinian people. So, I mean, it, that, that's the balance that needs to be struck, right? And if you followed this conflict over the years, as you know, um, the two-state solution has often been held up as that is the way that we get to a lasting permanent peace for the region. And, you know, today marks four months since Hamas carried out the terrorist attack of October 7th, which sparked what I think is by far the most severe round of violence in that region in decades. Um, four months now of pretty much relentless fighting. Um, and this, as we say, goes back years and years and years where peace has proven to be incredibly Elusive, And as I say, the two-state solution has always been talked about. It's never been achieved, though. You would think, at least I would, given where we are now and what's happening, the two-state solution seems farther away than ever before. However, maybe it's not. Maybe it's actually closer than before. We're going to speak with Benjamin Case, a postdoctoral research scholar at the Center for Work and Democracy at Arizona State University. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Um, Okay, so let's just talk about the concept of a two-state solution. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's been around for a long time. What would it look like if we were ever able to achieve it?
1: Oh, that's a fantastic question, and I think it's one that um, not a lot of folks have been able to honestly answer, which led a lot of people to say that the two-state solution was a mirage, that it was really dead. Um, various versions of a two-state solution along the 1967 border, which was the the borders of Israel in 1967 before a war with its neighbors, where Israel occupied um, the Gaza Strip in the south and the west, and the West Bank and Golan Heights in the east and the north, um, and have held those territories in this sort of netherworld between independence and, um, and being part of Israel, right? These are territories that Israel militarily controls, but where the Palestinian people who live there don't have any rights um, in Israel. Um, voting rights, you know, um, human rights, anything like that. And so this is a situation that has been widely understood to be unsustainable, but there hasn't been um, a way out. Israel claims granting sovereignty to, to the Palestinian territories would be a security risk. Um, and so w- uh, we've become stuck. Um, I think you're right that this round of violence really, I mean, excruciating to watch. And so this is not mm-hmm. a, uh, even from afar, so this is certainly not a silver lining. But But political violence like this can have paradoxical effects. Right. Um, they can draw urgency.
0: Exactly. It can sort of get us to a point like, okay, how is this going to end, and what's, it, how are we going to make sure it stays ended, because that's been part of the problem. You draw an interesting parallel to South Africa. and I, I just came back from South Africa last week, and I spent a lot of time talking to people about apartheid, and, of course, it, it still hangs heavy over that country 30 years later. Um, but walk us through the, the, the similarities, and, and they're pretty obvious if you spend a minute thinking about what's going on today in this part of the world versus what was happening back in the late 80s, early 90s in South Africa?
1: Yeah, there's some interesting confluences between the two countries. Even, I mean, you know, the term apartheid gets used by human rights groups for Israel and Palestine now. Um, Of course, South Africa is the country that's bringing genocide charges to Israel at the International Court of Justice. So I thought, let's look a little bit deeper into this, uh, into this analogy. And it turns out, yeah, there are really interesting similarities for how apartheid collapsed. Um, the apartheid system, of course, is a, apartheid is an Afrikaans language word that means apartness or separateness. It's legal segregation um, that was um, that was enforced in South Africa between 1948 and the early 90s. Um, and the the collapse of apartheid is usually attributed to some combination of... Uh, you know, domestic resistance to, to social movements in South Africa to bring it down, and to the international boycott movement, which isolated South Africa. Um, both of those are absolutely true. But there's another factor that, that isn't talked about very much, um, which is what South Africa called their border war in uh, Namibia and Angola, which are next door to the west and the north of South Africa. Um, there, was a, there was a war that was sort of a low-level uh, proxy war being fought in Namibia for, for a number of years that South Africa was involved in. Um, there's a lot of history here. I don't want to take up too much time with it. But Southwest Africa had been a German colony uh, until the end of World War I, where it was occupied by British-controlled South Africa. And they maintained this occupation and they enforced their apartheid policies there. Um, and became involved in a war uh, against um, forces that were fighting for independence. That war spilled into Angola after they achieved independence from Portugal. That became a civil war. So South Africa just became more and more embroiled in these wars trying to maintain its control. It took more and more resources. It became a proxy war for the the Cold War. The United States came in to support um, South Africa Politically and, and financially, the Soviet Union was supporting independence uh, fighters in Angola and in South Africa, which is now Namibia. Uh, Cuba, actually, uh, in a really fascinating um, uh, historical episode, sent more than 30,000 troops and tanks to fight on the ground uh, in Angola. So it started spiraling out of control into a war that, that nobody wanted and nobody could sustain. Um, South Africa was doing a lot to try to insulate. It's white citizens in South Africa from what was going on, Mm -hmm. but as the war escalated, they had to mobilize um, tens of thousands of of reserve troops. It became clear this 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 was sustainable, and people started asking questions like, "What are we really doing here?" Um, There started to be protests among white South Africans, Um, and uh, the the war kind of as it came to a head, it forced the peace deal. South Africa withdrew its troops, um, and in that political crisis, there the prime minister lost the support of his own far-right uh, party. He resigned. Um, that brought up a lot of other questions about the direction of South Africa. They started rolling back apartheid policies, and as we know historically, you know Nelson Mandela is released from prison. He wins the the first democratic elections in 1994. So the war kind of brought to a head the system that was unsustainable, was unjust. Um, uh, in a way that, that got people to ask much deeper questions um, about about what their country was doing and, and resulted in really deep changes.
0: And, and you're so right in terms of the similarities, the war, the international pressure that is now mounting as this has to end and we need to come up with a sustainable solution. And there is that same internal pressure that you mentioned. Netanyahu is facing that as well. He's having a hard time holding things together within Israel, right?
1: That's right absolutely and 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 there's there's protests within Israel by the the families yeah. and supporters of the families of these hostages who've been who've been captive in, in Gaza more than I think one hundred thirty still um, saying that the Israeli government has not done enough to bring them home they're rejecting deals to bring these people home because they want to continue the war effort um, and you know similar to South Africa at the time, not all of these protests are you know they're not talking necessarily about the condition of the occupation they're talking about hey why are our people being hurt? Why are our people hostages? Why are our people uh, at risk because of this? But that can lead to much deeper questions. So,
0: I mean, I guess that makes the case then that, hey, we might actually be closer to forcing a permanent, lasting two-state solution than we have been before because, like you say, that sense of urgency is there.
1: That's right. I mean, the United States is the largest player internationally, of course. I mean, you know, the United States has verbally supported a two-state solution for a long time, but also continues um, to to send enormous amounts of funding, billions of dollars in military funding to Israel, um, and, and you know, takes political action to veto uh, United Nations resolutions that would call for, for taking action in, in Israel and Palestine. Um, but all of a sudden, it's, again, the, the possible escalation of the war in Yemen and uh, Lebanon um, is, is now getting the United States to ask questions like, well, is, is this really in U.S. Yeah, security yeah. interests to continue this. Maybe now actually the pressures are outweighing um, the, the, the possible benefits um, of unconditional support of Israel. And that's exactly the kind of thing that could lead to tectonic changes.
0: Interesting. And, and you know, it, it's perfect because that's exactly what they're talking about today. Uh, what's the answer? What's the solution? The two-state solution has to be part of it. Saudi Arabia talking today. They won't even open negotiations. So you're right. Um, we may well be actually at a point where it's just become unsustainable and we might actually move this down the field for the first time in a long time. That would be fantastic.
1: <laughs> Tell me about it.
0: <laughs> well, let's hold out hope. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me on.